Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. The real thing is awareness. That's that's always the first pillar of transformation is awareness of self. So if you ask the three cues, right? Who does this person remind me of when we're polarized like this? Where have I felt like this before? Why is this behavioral dynamic familiar to me? Or another way to ask it is, when I'm in this cold war with my person, who do I become and who do they become? Hello, friends. It's another week on U-Turn Podcast, and it's Ashley Stahl here, and I have quite the treat for you. It's Terry Cole. She's a licensed psychotherapist with an expertise on love, relationships, and boundaries. She's writing a book on boundaries that's coming out, and uh, we are going to talk about how to decode your love blueprint because if we are really looking at our history, our our yearnings, you usually can trace those back into earlier in your life. And I think it's so powerful to look at that so that you're living it and it's not living you. So Terry, thank you so much for making the time. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for asking me to be on. Yeah. I, you know, everybody listening, we were, before we started recording, I was like fighting the urge to ask you, Terry, like 500 questions because you clearly have all the answers about these things. I, I, I started off by asking you about attachment. And I know a lot of people who listen to the show, they listen to an episode we have about the attachment styles, about boundaries. What is your belief as it relates to your upbringing and whether you're securely attached or insecurely attached? And can you kind of paint a picture for people who are listening so that maybe they can identify? Sure. I I think that what we want to first establish is that all of us are securely and insecurely attached, meaning none of us are 100% insecurely attached or we wouldn't even, we we couldn't even like survive in the world. So some people are more insecurely attached. What does that mean? It means that it's difficult to uh, create meaningful, stable relationships. Hmm. So why is that? Because there's a lot of insecurity, because there's a lot of, there's two predominant um, styles of insecure attachment, which is basically the, the really insecure are the ones who are always thinking about their partner, one like very preoccupied. Um, and so that shows with sort of this forward motion where you want to know where they are. You, you might want to look in their phone to make sure they're not texting someone else. You're feeling insecure, even if you, you don't have evidence 
to, to have that experience. And the other is people who are avoidantly attached. Mm. And this basically are people who they're kind of, um, it, it, it can look like a love junkie sort of, or someone who loves the pursuit, mm. but actually doesn't really love being in a relationship because as soon as they get into a relationship, they feel super smothered. They feel squished. They feel like the person is being demanding, even if they may not be. So as you can see, any kind of insecure attachment will create issues down the line. Yeah. Um, a what does secure attachment look like? It means that you're okay on your own. It means that you can build trusting relationships. But usually it also means that you have a good relationship with yourself because you trust that, you know, your picker isn't broken when you're picking a love partner. You are someone who keeps their word to themselves. You know what I mean? Like you, you know how to prioritize yourself. Mm -hmm. You know how to problem solve and talk about things, not taking everything so personally. And you can look at people's lives and see if you're securely attached, you probably have many friends from many different parts of your life. Mm. You might have, I still have the same childhood friends I've had since second grade and a million other friends, but you know, those same women who were incredibly important in my life. And I definitely believe I did not have a perfect upbringing. Do not get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But with my mother, because she was my primary caregiver, I am definitely securely attached in my ability to have long term, meaningful relationships where the relationship can grow rather than sort of getting getting either stuck in that beginning phase where you're you're all in and then you feel overwhelmed or even in a good relationship you feel like the other shoe is going to drop mm -hmm. and those are indications of being insecurely attached oh and at the same time i know terry that it's like you date the wrong person for you until you pick somebody that feels right for you and i know that there's not necessarily one person for everybody but this idea of it's a process. So usually if they feel like something's off, sometimes it is. So how does somebody determine whether there's an insecurity going off for them or, you know, it's just feedback that they're in the wrong match because it's wrong until it's right, you know? Yeah. I don't think that there's one way that, you know, honestly, I think that for me, always awareness is the first step. Mm -hmm. There's no way to say, this is a surefire way to know the difference between, because you're right. We are all constantly, hopefully evolving. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we, we choose people based on where we are in that moment in our life. Mm. And we are, you know, we'll get to, um, hopefully in this conversation, we'll talk about, um, downloaded love blueprints because that's, it's a very, um, specific way that I can illustrate what we're repeating. Like if you're someone who finds yourself like, why am I always in a relationship with a man or a woman where it's great for three months and then it's terrible or where they are emotionally unavailable for some reason. Let's talk about that. Well, and just before we even go further, what is it about love and relationships that's giving you this focus in your life? Like what role did it play in you choosing to focus on this for your work? Well, part of it is that I, I never thought I would get married. I did not believe in happily ever after, even though I was a very happy and optimistic, you know, human pretty much always, but my downloaded love blueprint, you know, wasn't the best. And what I saw growing up was that for my mother, love and marriage 
were like a cage. So she, you know, went worked at a factory to make money because both my parents grew up poor. And she finally gets to college a year after my father. They were high school sweethearts. And she got pregnant over winter, I mean, uh, Thanksgiving break. So she didn't even finish her first semester of college. And then she had four daughters in a very short time with my father. And I was the last one. So I had a whole bunch of things going on. One was that, you know, marriage is the end of your dreams. So, okay, I, I don't want my dreams to end. And what I saw growing up was that and what I learned from my mother covertly and overtly was that men were people to be managed, you know? Mm-hmm. And, was this, and I, is this a part of what you would call your love blueprint? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so for everybody listening, what, how would you define or help them understand how to access this idea of a love blueprint inside of them? Well, you all have one, whether you know about it or not. Mm-hmm. So the way that you can, um, sort of get a snapshot of it. First, let me tell you what it is. Imagine it like an architectural blueprint for a house that someone else designed um, centuries ago. Could be decades, could be centuries ago. And if we don't look to understand what's in it, we end up repeating these things because it's we think this is the only choice of the way love is. Mm. So your downloaded blueprint is in your unconscious mind. Mm. So it gets, it gets planted there. Yes. From your family of origin, of course, but also from your culture, from your country, from the crew that you're from, from, you know, in my family, there was a lot of sort of male bashing where even though men had the power and made the money in most of the cases, it was like all the women had, we had a secret joke that they were really idiots, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> and, that, and so that you know is just I mean? a part of the way your mindset as it relates to love or your beliefs that create your results. So if anybody listening right now, what would be one step for them to start to get curious or unlock this blueprint that everybody's holding? Well, actually, I'm going to give all of your listeners a little gift at the end, and there'll be a mini downloaded love blueprint questionnaire in that gift. So, and the questions are, which I'm happy to tell you as well, we can just start with how was marriage regarded in the home that you grew up in? Mm. If you grew up in a two parent home, how was your parents' relationship? Um, If you grew up in a single parent home, what was your single parents' attitude about love and marriage? Was it held in high esteem? Was it considered a joke? Did your parents get married and divorced many times? Or you're from like multiple step family situations? All of those things, whether we know it or not, they impact what we unconsciously think about love, regardless of what we want to think about love. So we start, we freely just look and go, okay, well, I grew up and let's see, my parents got married. My mother was pregnant. Then my mother had an affair with her boss at the IGA when I was 13 and my parents got divorced. Now they didn't get divorced, obviously, because of the affair. That's just a symptom of the fact that they, you know, they had no ability to communicate in my, my folks situation, even though they were both devoted to us and, you know, loving and all those things, but they were not well-matched. Um, if you think of your own family, then you look at how did your parents treat each other? If you came from a two parent home, 
Was there affection? How did they problem solve? Mm. Was it a very dramatic relationship? Was there yelling? Was there fighting? Was there physical abuse? Was there addiction? Was there drama? Or was it like they were high school sweethearts and they're still married 40 years later and they know how to cooperate? Like everyone has a different story and your downloaded love blueprint is as unique as your fingerprints. Do you know what's so interesting, Terry, is as I'm listening to you, it's like I've been doing this work for a long time where I reflect and try to cultivate awareness in my own life. And I've definitely heard like money blueprint, you know, and, and then there's the love blueprint. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, like I grew up in a house where two parents were very happily married or it looked like it. But when I really tune into the relationship, my mom is like a very sweet woman, but she kind of keeled over and checked out. And my dad was anxious and like always needing to talk and having lots of triggers. And she would kind of just like check out and be like, I'm dealing with this kind of, you know? Um, and it's interesting because I can see that dynamic. And I think a lot of people listening can probably see their parents dynamic, but I still to this day can't necessarily conclude or see like, where does that translate into my own love life? You know, cause I don't have connections with men where they're talking, talking, talking like my dad and I'm checking out. Um, but maybe I'm like my dad and I'm talking, 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 and they're checking out, you know? Yes. And you know, I'll actually give you right now, listeners and you this really quick and easy tool that you can use when you're stuck in any, any situation in your life, love in particular, but anything where, where you find yourself repeatedly unsatisfied or, or the thing you want, let's say in love continues to elude you when you're in the situation. I call this tool, the three cues, meaning questions tool. And I developed this tool because, you know, there's this complicated theory about repetition compulsion that Freud came up with in like 1910. You know, that's not helpful. That's not accessible. But what's accessible is if we have some unsatisfying repetition in our lives, that if we can understand where we might be having what's called a transference, where you might be in present moment responding or reacting from unresolved stuff from the past. That's really what a transference is. Mm. It can be really helpful to be able to identify because, you know, here's the thing, Ash, it doesn't have to be, you know, it, it isn't gender specific. It doesn't have to be that you are in the role of your mother. That's, that's not necessarily it. We want to know how the experience is familiar. So the three questions I'll tell you right now, you can include them in the show notes. Right. The first is, if you're talking about a, a love relationship, let's just say, who does this person remind me of? Mm-hmm. Right. And then we move into number two, which is where have I felt like this before? Mm-hmm. Because the feeling is very important. The person doesn't have to look or sound or be exactly like someone you've ever known, but the way you feel might be familiar when you're with them. And then the third question is, How is this behavioral dynamic, meaning the way I'm interacting with this person, how is that familiar to me? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I always love to just spill myself on this show and get all of you listeners are like, thank God they still give me their love despite me just, but I, I can't help but think, okay, my relationship with my partner, Terry, he's great guy. Um, he's very particular. And so if I look at your three cues, Um, He kind of reminds me of my dad because my dad had a certain way that he wanted things. And regardless of whether my mom or me or anybody wanted to follow suit, 
we would do it. And so I felt like a hostage sometimes, you know, like this sense of desperation of wanting to have my own thing going on, but following somebody and not having space for me. And, um, and so that's how the dynamic would be familiar, I guess, with my partner, who's really a sweetheart, who's just quite particular about certain things. Um, so if anybody's listening right now and they're following the three cues, where do you go from there? It's like, yeah, I identified that. Okay. So let's do it with you, shall we? Yeah, let's go. Let's just do it right here, right, right now. Live. Yeah. So why is it valuable to know what we're repeating? Because when you were a child, you needed to go along to get along. Mm, I love that. Right. Because you, you're not moving out when you're seven. I mean, not you, not anyone is like, Hey, I don't like this. I'm out the door. So kids are incredibly adaptive mm-hmm. and we know that we need to toe the line. We need to, and every person listening has a different situation. If you grew up in in an addicted family or a family with a narcissistic parent, then you knew naturally how to sublimate, just shove down your needs and prioritize that person's needs because that was the only way you'd stay safe. Mm -hmm. And then we, that is adaptive as a child because it probably did keep you know someone in that situation safe mm-hmm. and then we grow up and these patterns become maladaptive but they're in our unconscious mind and we're not aware of why we still feel like we need to go along with how the particularities of our partner in your situation right mm-hmm. we don't understand like why Am I, why, why am I, why am I still doing this? Mm -hmm. So part of it is, you know, there is a child within all of us. Yep. And before I became a therapist, I was a talent agent for many years. I was, you know, negotiating contracts for celebrities and supermodels. That was my job. So I'm definitely not like out there when it comes to stuff. And before I became a therapist, um, if someone had ever said like the child within, I'd be like, yeah, okay. (laughs) I'm sure that exists somewhere. Like, what are you talking about? You just want to sell a book. Mm -hmm. And then I became a therapist and I was like, oh my God. So John Bradshaw is the person who originated this concept, or at least that's where I learned it. And I mean, he's been around since the eighties and his work is still so brilliant and everything's been updated. But anyway, um, the child within, so we, we get stuck at these phases of development or, or we get stuck like where these injuries that we had, like, let's say that your dad wanted was particular. And before you got on board, cause maybe you were still little or young, um, you did something that basically indicated you were not on board with what he was doing. And maybe he yelled at you, or maybe he did something that was out of character for him, mm-hmm. but made you really not want him to do it again. Mm-hmm. So you go, okay. I need to get with the program here with his particularities because I don't want him to reject me. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to be mad at me. I don't want, you know, we don't, we, we really don't want that from any of our parents ever. Mm-hmm. So how is it valuable now? Just moving this information from what I call the basement of your mind into the main part of the house. Let's open some windows, shine some sunlight on it, right? Clean it up a little bit. We can actually in the moment go, Oh, I've been really afraid to talk to my person about them needing things their way, because here's the thing. There's lots of code language we use 
right? So you can say particular, Mm -hmm. and that could be a code word for someone who is demanding or someone who's a perfectionist or someone who wants to dominate you or someone who's not a good cooperator or, you know, a compromiser. I'm not saying that's true. I have no idea. But but I'm saying that's a very specific way of um, framing Mm -hmm. what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so as a grown-up, because your partner is not your father and you're not 10, we start to think outside of that child-like box and go, okay, well, you can be particular, but you can't dominate all the things like You can do it that way. I I have this with my husband a little bit where he's way more of a, he's way more particular than I am, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, but I really am using the word as particular. Maybe it is OCD. That's all I'm being more honest. I don't know. Yeah. But for me, my personality says I can't deal with anybody dominating me. If it's something that makes sense to me or it will make his life better or happier, I'm, I'm pretty happy to do it unless he thinks there's only one way to load the dishwasher. Mm. And then I go, babe, that's super cool. But know that you will be the only one loading the dishwasher and I'll do other things. Like I'm not saying you have to do all the work. I'm saying there's just no effing way that I'm loading the dishwasher and then watching you reload it. Cause that's just bullshit. Like well, that's not happening. So, so this is really valuable, Terry, because I'm, I'm like you in this regard. Um, so we're kind of looking at these three cues, which anybody taking notes, cause I know all of you who reach out to me do. She said, who does this person remind me of? Where have I felt like this before? And how is this dynamic familiar? And so in my case, it's like looking at my partner who's his particular. And I guess there, the, the shadow of it could be like demanding. But to me, it's like he just, you know, likes me to squeegee the shower, you know, like whatever. He has like a way of keeping the house clean, whatever. But I'm like you where what I kind of heard, and you can correct me on this, Terry, is that your reaction to that is I'm not doing it that way. Um, maybe sometimes. And that's definitely my reaction where it's like, that's great that you're doing this, but here's how I'm going to do it. And I think that's how I survived in my upbringing was if you're going to tell me what to do, then I'm just going to give like ultimatum energy and remove myself from the situation, like not, not engage with you anymore, be punitive in some way. So how does somebody who's listening kind of look at their love life right now or their recent, most recent partnership, if they are riding solo right now and say to themselves, okay, like this partnership reminds me of this person in my upbringing or this attachment figure. And this is what I got out of it. And here's how I reacted to it. So where do we go from there? Well, part of it is, you know, we, we have to look at the whole, the whole scope of the relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. So I know what my faults are. I know where I can be a jerk I, in my relationship. I've worked, I work very hard. We're very happily married for 22 years. We've got a great thing better now than ever, but it's work. Like it's the most important thing in my life. And, you know, I've got a big business and I've got a lot of other things, but the truth is there's not one thing or one person in my life who's more important to me than Vic. Mm. That's it. Like he's, he, and and our our union is my highest priority always. Mm. So know that, you know, like, Mm. like that's, that's the way that we approach the relationship when, you know, and and I've got all the, we've got all these like agreed upon ways of being like, we have a couple's vision that I teach people how to do. Like there's a whole bunch of things that we do so that as we change and grow, 
we can change and grow together. Mm, beautiful. And you know, when you look at that couple's vision, cause I think when you, you know, when I look at my upbringing and I felt controlled or like a hostage where I had to go along with something and the way that I came back to myself was being reactive by refusing to do something or giving an ultimatum, like, fine, if this is the way it is, I'm not going to show up. I, I know that everybody had some sort of reaction, you know, and I, I love the prioritization you're talking about in your relationship. So I know a lot of people listening probably want to make their relationship a top priority in the way that you have and make the union um, such a foundation of their life and of their care. But how do you navigate when you have these responses, these triggers, and That's a you, great question. you kind of get yep. punitive or reactive or you see red and you get angry? Right. Listen, you're still going to get angry sometimes. <laughs> And that's okay. But you really don't want to be reactive Mm -hmm. because it's not your highest self and it really is this low vibration. So any, any person, when I used to have a a private practice for many years, you know, I'm also a meditation teacher. Any person who ever works with me, every course that I teach has a very pretty profound meditation aspect of it because we need to create some internal space so that we can make mindful choices. I will decide like that, you know, I can, I can see where my husband and I would be polarized in our relationship. And I made a decision like I'm not living my life, having the same bullshit fight about time because a lot of couples fight about time. So I was always early and he would make me late. And then I'd be mad for like the three hour drive and not talk to him. You know, the whole, like you said, withdrawn and anger. Yeah. How do you, how do you navigate that? Because it's so visceral. It's so real. It's like everybody didn't get something they really needed as a kid, or there's something that everybody kind of remembers their parent pulled them into, or that they felt pulled into that makes them just respond like this. It's like, how do you sit there when you want to do the time thing of like, you're making me late. I did Where do you go in that moment? Well, I'll quickly tell you a story of where we went because that was our biggest and really over all these years, that was the only like repeated conflict that we ever had. And it was only in the first three years of our marriage. So I finally went to my therapist and I was in therapy. And I I also, before I was with my husband, I said to my friends, you know, I'm not going to go out with anyone who hasn't had two decades of therapy. Mm. And they were like, well, you might as well, like, you're going to be a spinster or become gay now because you're never going to find a straight guy who's done that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I think I will. Or I don't want to, I don't care. Like I build a great life. I, I, I've already done these subpar relationships that just make me miserable mm-hmm. or make me feel like I need to make myself smaller or not as bright or not as all the things that I actually am. And I was like, I need someone who has their own thing, their own show, their own passions, who wants to really partner in this life. Anyway, so point is, I never thought it was going to happen. And the fact that it did happen was so mind-blowing. And maybe that's why I've got so much gratitude. And my husband, I think, felt the same way. So to get to how, how we figured out the time thing is, first of all, I had to stop blaming him. Mm. I had to, every single interaction you have in your relationship is 50% you and 50% the other person, no matter what they're doing. No matter what you're doing, it's 50-50 always. So, and you decide, hey, if you don't like their 50, let's say someone is really, really aggressive with you. Okay. If you stay in that relationship, that's your 50%. Ah, got it. 
Hey U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Well, then this takes me to the question. A lot of people are going to look at it and say, why am I even staying? You know, because in that moment where you're always on time and he always makes you late, it's easy to say, you know what? Maybe we're not a match. Like, how do you really stay in the relationship? Because I know a lot of people feel that. Right. Well, first of all, they feel that because my, my thing with time with my husband, this was a representation of another situation that he couldn't talk about. That we that we could didn't verbalize. So I'm gonna now I'm gonna explain something about passive aggressive anger because it's very relevant to this story. I'll try to keep it short. But this is when somebody makes you late all the time, and especially if you're someone like me who's always super early to things, it is a setup for anger. Yeah. Right. Right. What is passive aggressive anger? It's someone taking an action that they know someplace in their conscious mind is going to provoke you to anger. That's what it is. So I went to my therapist and keep in mind, I was already a therapist at this point, but I actually couldn't figure it out. I was like, I mean, I was, I was a very young and new therapist, but still mm-hmm. I was like, what is the deal with this time thing? I do not get it. Now, again, back to what I was saying before, we look at the whole scope of their relationship because if the, the time thing would be a big deal, if my husband didn't have a million other amazing qualities that mm. to this day is still the most interesting person I've ever met. I would rather be with him in his truck going to the dump than anywhere else. Like literally everything is better with him. So understand that that creates bandwidth mm. and sort of um, this well of goodwill so that instead of just saying, well, he's makes me late and I'm an early person, maybe we're not a good match. You have to look at the whole relationship. Are you seen? Are you listened to? Do you have a good physical life? Is there enough affection? Are your love languages aligned enough that you both feel enough level of satisfaction that it's worth putting your energy into? And if that answer is yes, but you've got one situation where you're like, holy crap, we always fight about this. I guarantee you, you're most likely dealing with one of you having some difficulty expressing yourself when you're angry. So I quickly, I go to my therapist, I go, Ruth, what's the deal? Well, this guy's like Prince Charming and amazing in every other way, but this thing is crazy and it, it happens all the time. And we're fighting about it all the time. And it's such a bummer because I'm so madly in love with this person. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that this thing is going to threaten the relationship. And she said, Terry, let me ask you something. Does Vic ever get mad at you? And I said, no. And she said, do you think that's normal? And I was like, mm, I don't know. I never thought about it. She's like, okay, but you're a therapist. So think about it. I was like, okay, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and so she said, why do you think he doesn't get mad at you? And I said, well, when we met, he was a widower with three angry acting out young teen sons, like 11, 13, 15. And it was a lot, but I didn't care, you know? So I feel like he 
feels incredibly grateful. Like he likes to say, you know, I, I married him in his mess, quote unquote. And of course, these humans became my humans. And, you know, it's, it's the best thing ever. I have six grandchildren now. It's like, you know, it, it all worked out. Like, no, no vaginal birth. I was like, perfect. Not a problem. In, in just having kind of an instant family, you know. So my, my assumption was that he was afraid of losing me. He'd had other relationships where the, the, you know, the kids became too much for the woman and they would leave. His wife died when the kids were five, three and nine months old. Mm -hmm. So he was like overly grateful. I had never been married. I had a big career. I had my own money. I was like, I just wanted to be with him. I was, I moved out of Manhattan to like Elizabeth, New Jersey. I was like anything. I don't care. You could have 25 teenagers. I'd be like, love will find a way of hell. Like you are definitely my person. So that lasted and helped for a really long time. But his fear made him not be able to get mad at me, but he was mad at me about things. Cause that's called being a human. Mm -hmm. And so what happens, it's like, I wish you could see me cause I would show you. It's like the person who's afraid to express the anger or doesn't have the words. It's like an indirect way of expressing it. It's like they disavow their anger. They ignore it. They shove it down. But what they really do is they chop it off and basically shove it down your throat. How does that look like, cause I well, relate to that. Like I have a partner who his fear would probably be losing me. That's his biggest fear as well. We're in this, I feel like I'm in the same relationship as you right now. It's very interesting. Oh my God. I'm so like, funny. I'm always well, on time. A lot of hope for your relationship. Cause mine's awesome. <laughs> yeah. He's awesome. He's like the best guy I've ever met. And I totally, I'm like, this is my person, but it's interesting because I have these mechanisms from my upbringing. And I think a lot of people listening can relate to this where it's like, it's worked for me. So for example, my dad had a lot of needs. I followed suit. And for a lot of years, that meant me being reactive or even having ultimatum energy. Like if you're going to make me do this, I'm not doing that. Cause my whole life I've been told what to do and not anymore. I'm 32 fucking years old, you know? Yeah. Um, and so whenever I had guys that weren't really right for me, it was a blessing. I was able to get out. But when you find the right person, it's like, Oh, I don't get to leave anymore. I found the right person. And it's such a good way of saying it, Ashley, because that's yeah. exactly what it is. It's like there's so much good that I have to look at my childhood injuries. Yes. And, you know, this is a concept that Harville Hendricks actually came up with, with Imago therapy, it's called I-M-A-G-O, where as we do our work, we become more evolved and we, we can attract someone hopefully where there's enough flexibility that we can sort of recognize and heal our wounds together through compromising. So how you can do it or how we did it was I made a decision that no matter what happened, I was, I was done being a freak about time. Like I had to really get real with my own weird relationship to time because it was weird um, and too much and too controlling and too everything. Mm -hmm. And then I, my, my uh, therapist Ruth was like, all right, let's do, let's do an experiment this weekend. No matter what you guys have to do, no matter where you're going, you're not going to react if he makes you late. You got it. I was like, yep. Okay. Let's see. So we we're going to a wedding and it was about two hours away. So one hour before we're leaving, one hour before we must be in the car, I'm fully dressed and drinking a cup of tea. Like literally of I have my dress on. I'm ready yeah, you're like my spirit animal, Terry. Like yeah. me and you both ready with our tea, <laughs> like way hyper in advance. Okay. Oh yeah. The car is gassed up. Yeah. Like all Everything's the things. ready. Yeah. So then he goes, he comes down, he's in work jeans still. And he's like, he's in his paint pads. Actually, he's a painter. Of course. And he was like, I'm jumping out to a uh, home depot, but I'll be back in plenty of time. I was like, <laughs> Well, sure. That's the worst Saturday, thing I've ever heard. He was still living in New <laughs> yeah. Jersey. I was like, I'm pretty sure he'll not be back in plenty of time, but fine. He comes pulling in 
at the exact time we're supposed to be in the car to leave with wood on top of the effing car, just wood. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. And yet I was meditating my ass off and I was like, I'm not going to react. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to react. So he comes in and he's like all the excuses I got behind someone who was going really slow, you know, all, all the yeah, crap totally. that you're like, yeah. yeah okay. Mm-hmm. But I was like, Hey babe, no problem. Your tux is done. Everything is laid out upstairs. Do your thing. I'm having my tea. I uh, I allotted more time than we need, as I usually do. So don't worry about it. If we leave here in thirty, we'll be fine. Just do your thing. Now I'm saying I'm saying like it, like a normal person. But inside, but he, you probably feel like fucking hell. No, no. You know what is weird? It felt so liberating to not feel fucking hell. Oh. It felt so liberating to be like, it's cool, babe. Do your thing. And as long as we're out in 30, we're cool. But he couldn't even hear the words I was saying. He was like, I'm, I'll be really fast. It's, I'm good. Like he, he kept making the, he's like on the dance floor doing the old dance. Mm-hmm. And you're not doing it with him. No, I'm sitting on the side drinking seltzer. I was like, um, hi, what are you doing over there? He's continuing to kind of want me to dance almost because it's, it's this pattern we've gotten into. Anyway, I go, <laughs> okay, babe, get in the shower. We're good. We're good. And he's looked weird and then got went upstairs. We left. Even leaving longer than 30 minutes later, we still got there in plenty of time. Because I said to him, hey, if we get there during the ceremony, it's outside. It's cool. We'll sit in the back. It's not a problem, which I never would have been willing to even consider before. If I'm not in the front row, like, then I messed up that wedding. Like, I'm I'm like a bad friend, you know? <laughs> so, he, so anyway, we, we as we're driving to the wedding, I just say to him, hey, you know, you know what Ruth thinks? And he's like, what? And I was like, Ruth thinks... That um, and then I told him the whole passive aggressive anger thing, and he was like, "I don't know about that." Well, like, what, well, what would you say? Because I know everybody's going to be curious okay. when they're listening. When you said passive mm-hmm. aggressive anger thing, I know you mentioned that in passing in your session with her. But what did that mean? How did you express it to him? I said, um, he, he was very therapized, as I said. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he wonderful. Knew exactly what it meant well, and I love a well an- analyzed man. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. No more. No more unexamined mind was that was my mantra when I was single. Um. Anyway, so what it is, is it's an indirect way of expressing displeasure. Mm, Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. And if we take it one step further, it's an indirect way of expressing displeasure by sort of planting your anger in the other person by unconsciously or consciously doing something that will make the other person not only feel and express their frustration and anger, but feel and express yours. Mm. So it's kind of like this manipulation, this little movement that makes them upset and me upset. And why would you be passive aggressively angry? What's the payoff or what's the driver? Well, you feel your own anger. It feels too threatening in my situation with my husband. He was so grateful and happy. We found each other. He was denying that there were things I were doing that that I was doing that was annoy that were annoying him, or or were making him angry. He couldn't even see it himself consciously because he felt so afraid that if he were to express anger, then like the other women before me, I would then leave. Mm, so he's not safe to have how he to be how he feels. Exactly. And I know a lot of women who are listening to this, it's like they want their partner or even their, I mean, men or whatever the relationship is. I know a lot of people will criticize me if I don't say all relationships. So I'm saying all relationships, people, um, you know, I know that some people, 
they have a lot of reaction. There's insecurity. And so their partner doesn't feel safe to share with them because they're not. The person freaks out. And I know that a freaking out person wants to learn how to manage that in their body. But how did you manage that? Because I know you talked about bandwidth with your therapist and you said you stay for the amazing qualities and you learn how to manage the differences. And that creates bandwidth when you are seen, listened to, there's physical connection, there's affection, there's synced up love languages, values, all of these different things. But how do you manage not going into that reaction? Because you were saying you're meditating your ass off. You're sitting there with your tea. Like some days we're just on the edge of our capacity and we haven't meditated. Like how does somebody... Well, here's Slow the thing, down. though, Ashley. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's your intention because I wonder how many people listening mm-hmm. have been in a repetitive situation in a relationship and have sat down long enough to say, what's my 50% of this? Mm-hmm. Why am I so overly, for me, uptight about time? And then I would, I would like bait him. I knew this was going to happen. I would get in the car four minutes earlier than I needed to, and then be beeping the horn like a psycho. Like I just turned into like another person Mm -hmm. because you become habituated as a couple into these polarized positions. And what does it do? It serves the relationship in some way. And I'm going to, I'll tell you my thoughts on it, right? It, it, it keeps the homeostasis, we call it, or the balance in the relationship because that person needs to express their rage. So by you doing the dance, you are doing a service to the relationship. Does that make sense? Is that like through passive aggressive anger, like doing something that you know is going to piss them off and let you air yourself out or whatever, create those ruffles? Is that a way to air things out? Or what would you say that it's, plays a role? It's not. It is. Uh, it, I'm saying it is in service of the relationship, but unhealthy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so there is an actual function. It does do something. That's so what you have to do is go, okay. Something is happening that we are polarized on this. What can I do? So with my husband, I was able to say, listen, the only thing you and I fight about is time. And I don't want to fight about time. And actually, I am unwilling to have this, to do this dance with you for the rest of my life. So if that means if you're not willing to own your part, and if that means that I just have to completely transform my relationship to time, and be late everywhere with you, then I will. And he was like, no, I don't make you late. I was like, well, but you do. Okay, fine. So because I was actually willing, what I wasn't willing to do, I said, babe, it's hard enough for me to express my own anger. I definitely am not signing up to express yours for the next 50 years. Like no fucking way. I'm not. So then after that first conversation, I was like, can you see? Because I used to try to I knew it when she first told me why, like what she thought was happening, that he was afraid to express it. And when we talked about it, I would say to him, hey, babe, if there's anything that I'm doing that's bothering you, like, tell me if it's something that, you know, I don't mind changing, I'm happy to do so. Like, I actually want you to be comfortable and have the things you want. He, he would always say, well, you always want me to be mad. I'm not mad. Why do you want me to be mad? I'd be like, I actually don't want you to be mad. I want you to communicate. Mm like succinctly, because that's how much I love you. I actually care about the small things, you know? Well, so then wait, I got a question for that, Terry. Oh, I know what you're going to do. You're going to bring it back to the dishwasher. I know it, right? Well, yeah. Just like if you want him to communicate, but you still want what you want and he still wants what he wants. How do two people, how do you find a place with your timing thing? And how does he find a place with his 
flowy, graceful lateness? Like, where yeah. do you, how do you find that? Well, the way that we find it and the way that healthy couples, I think, find it is that you go, okay, what is more important to whom? Mm, so that's kind of a version of balance. It's not about 50% you, 50% me on solving this. It's we both have a, a thing here and what matters to each of us. So taking a look yes. at the whole thing. And how dysfunctional is that thing too? Like with the controlling of the the way he wants the groceries packed and he's willing to pack. My husband's great though because anything he wants done in a particular way, he's willing to do it that way. Great. He knows that does not necessarily mean I'm doing it that way. Mm. And he will never plan our trips and he would never, because he'd play, pay like $7,000 to go to LA. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I have skills, he has skills. And so as a couple, you go, okay, who, who's doing what, you know, and, and be grateful all the time for every single nicety. Like we have the most polite relationship that's not distant, but literally every day, whoever gets up last makes the bed every day. The other person goes, thanks for making the bed, honey. That may sound repetitive and like stupid and annoying, but you know what it does? It builds that well of goodwill that I was talking about mm. so that when the shit hits the fan, because in any relationship, of course it's going to, you have a reason. If my husband is acting like a jerk and sometimes he does, but it's not his normal state. Instead of me immediately being ego driven, like I don't deserve this. I say, Hey babe, is something going on? You seem really like angry and I don't know, are you mad at me? Are you upset? And you know, recently something happened there, a friend of his passed away and he said, well, so-and-so just died and he's the same age as me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I go, I know babe, that's so hard, but let's, do you want to talk about Bob? You know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, even though he said it heated, I could see he was in so much pain. So whoever's cracking up the least has to be bold enough to stand up for the relationship and be egoless enough to be like, I know something's up with my person right now. And instead of being like, well, what about me every minute of the day? How about what about him in that moment when he's acting uncharacteristically like an idiot? Hmm. When he's not an idiot. Now, if you're in a relationship and your person acts like an idiot all the time, people who are listening, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, very good distinction. Right? Yeah. Well, and you know, I also am listening to you and you mentioned cycles. And I, I know a lot of couples get caught in a cycle where they keep arguing, like in your case, the time issue. So a lot of couples might be working through a cycle. Um, in my case, in my relationship, you know, like little angel man, well, not little big angel man. Um, he, we were in a cycle for like six weeks arguing about the same thing. And then finally I was able to take responsibility for my side and the whole thing dissolved. Um, what, what do you have to share with anybody listening right now who is reflecting on a relationship of the past or they're in a current one and they're stuck in some fucking cycle that they're just like, get me out of the cycle. What would you have to say to them right now? Well, the first thing is that you have to decide, do you want to be right or do you want to be loving? Because most of the time you can't be both. And I'm not saying that means take a lot of shit. And I'm not saying that means always give them their way. But when you're both in a cycle, as you just described, you know that you're both suffering. Hmm. 
especially when a good relationship is going through a rough cycle, it's so painful because your friend, your person who you want to tell the good and the bad to, suddenly you feel this distance and you kind of don't want to tell them anything because you want to just like punch them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a bummer. It's a huge loss. So the real thing is awareness. That's, that's always the first pillar of transformation is awareness of self. So if you ask the three cues, right, who does this person remind me of when we're polarized like this? Where have I felt like this before? Why is this behavioral dynamic familiar to me? Or another way to ask it is when I'm in this cold war with my person, who do I become and who do they become? Because you may become your child self, they may become your authoritarian parent, you may become your dad, they may become your mom, but we want to understand what we're repeating. And then you have to decide, are the other things in the relationship, like good enough, like you, you, you have to look at like you did, what is my responsibility? Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to break that kind of cold war. If we're able to just say, listen, I know that I have been really stubborn lately about this, but I really love you and I really do not want to fight about petty things. We are so much better than this. So please, let's come up with either a code word so that when we feel like we're starting to get into the polarization zone, somebody can just scream out like green beans and maybe we'll laugh or maybe we'll stop. You know what I mean? Like there's all these different creative ways that you can together because it's really about it's, it's you and me against this problem instead of you and me against each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who has the abandonment feeling of like afraid that their partner is going to leave them. I think a lot of people listening are going to resonate with that. What, what do you think? Um, you, you had a lot to say just around like your husband having that and what the outcomes of it are or some bullets about it. Can you share a little bit of insight for somebody who feels that what it's really about for them or what you think? Well, part of it is that we need to understand why we feel that way. And then we have to look for our patterns. Like, what is your downloaded love blueprint? Were there abandonment issues? Did one of, was there infidelity in the home that you grew up in? Um, there, there's all these different ways. Were you abandoned by one of your parents? That, that can also create this fear that your love object, as we call it, right, will leave. So we, we have to get a little bit into, and, and we do that. And actually in the, the, the real love revolution course that I have that starts in February, that's just for women. I do a lot of this deep diving into getting whatever bags of crap and unresolved stuff that you may have in your love basement up and out so that you have a much deeper understanding of why you respond this way. And actually why I say that is because someone may be feeling this way because they've been drawn to an untrustworthy partner multiple times. Mm -hmm. So it may not be your insecurity. You may be feeling and you may have evidence that your partner is untrustworthy. If that has been a repeated pattern, there are reasons why that is happening in your life. And you can absolutely stop that from happening again by understanding your downloaded love blueprint. But in that moment, so the reason why I can't give you a blanket answer Mm -hmm. for everyone listening, because the reality is each 
person is in a different situation. If you're in a relationship, so I'll give you two scenarios. If you're in a relationship and you believe that your person is a trustworthy person and they've never stepped out on you and you've never stepped out on them and they don't um, fight dirty and they are emotionally trustworthy so they don't say the meanest thing that they can think to you when they're angry, mm-hmm. right? Think of trustworthy, what, what that is in all the areas. They wouldn't They wouldn't reveal your confidences to someone else. That is someone who's trustworthy. And you are feeling insecure, like they're going to do one of those things, even though their history says they haven't done it, and you have no evidence that they've done it with you. Then we can make a relatively educated assumption that the insecurity you're feeling is you. Mm Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Like it's based on you. It could be attachment style. It could be a lot of things. If you are feeling insecure and all of those things I just said are the opposite and this person has cheated on you or who has stepped out emotionally or flirting or drinking too much. Cause a lot of times with addiction, if you're with an active addict, they are not trustworthy people mm-hmm. while they're active. I'm not saying when they're sober and if they get sober, great, but an active addict is untrustworthy, right? Fact, this is just life. So the thing is, and then you'll have someone, a lot of times if you're with someone who is untrustworthy, maybe they're a narcissist, maybe maybe they're really good at what's called gaslighting mm-hmm. you, which is like just messing with your reality and being like, you're crazy. I don't know what is going on with you. Something is wrong with you. Like you always do this to yourself. We're having a nice time. And then you know what I mean? And that is someone who is psychologically manipulating you. Yeah. And for those of you listening, I know we've kind of touched on toxic relationships and narcissism, but the way I see gaslighting is like, if you know you're wearing a red sweatshirt and somebody keeps telling you it's purple and then you start to wonder if something's wrong with your eyes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a great description. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's yes. like something's wrong with me. I thought this was red. God, it looks so fucking red and it's not. <laughs> uh, okay. This is so helpful. I, Terry, like I could just talk to you forever. Um, and I, I want to know for everybody listening, who's writing all these notes as I know they are about love blueprint. What are some final pieces of this puzzle that before we close up, close off this call that you just want them to know as it relates to this outside of your three cues and, and these responses that they might have passive aggressive anger, um, a well of goodwill. I love all of these concepts. What else do you want to share? That you, you are the person, right? Your, your relationship with yourself sets the bar for every other relationship in your life. So if you don't have a good relationship with yourself, meaning you don't take good care of yourself, you don't prioritize your thoughts, your feelings, your preferences, you let people walk all over you, you have an inner mean committee telling you what a jerk you are, that you don't look good or whatever, that really impacts who you attract in your life. So I say that literally the only path to real love is self-love and what is self-love self-love is not just a concept it's not something on a little tile on insta self-love is a way of life it's a verb it's literally a code of behavior for you how will you protect yourself how will you make sure that you are heard and seen for who you are Mm. 
Love this. This is so powerful. Thank you so much, Terry. And can you just remind everybody where they can find you, learn about your book, your courses, um, just all of the things? Yes. My book is not coming out until 2021, but okay, I'm actually well, you, doing I get some how really goes. beautiful stuff in January. So January, before the, the course starts, I'm going to be doing a bit, a bunch of free um, webinars, and then I'll be taking questions live. Um, that's a lead up to the Real Love Revolution course itself, where it is so incredibly helpful. So if you liked this episode, if you felt like, wow, they, these are gems of wisdom, but I could use more, then please sign up for what I'm doing. Um, in It's, it's going to be starting in January. Um, and I don't even know what I'm calling it yet, but it's free. All you Wonderful. need to do, and all you need to do actually is opt in for the free gift and then we'll send you information. So it's terrycole.com forward slash gift. And that will give you, it's like a little real love revolution kit where you can, you'll get some questions for your downloaded love blueprint. I'll give you a meditation. There's a bunch of things in there to really get you started on the road to real revolutionary love. Oh, this is so great. Thank you so much, Terry. Those of you listening, you know that we love to hear from you on Instagram, post a shot of the episode, let us know your takeaways. I really, really appreciate you being here. And I myself am going to be sitting in reflection of this conversation plenty, I'm sure. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. It was great. Hey friends, it's Ash here and I am just reflecting on the episode with Terry Cole. I just loved talking to her. Sometimes I get curious after a podcast. I'm like, can they tell that I just had an extra good time with that human? You know, like there's something just about her and her realness and her groundedness that, uh, and her honesty that made it so helpful to talk to her about how she manages when she has a difference with her partner, how her love blueprint comes into play and how all of our love blueprints come into play. And one of the topics that I get asked about sometimes in DMs and that I was inspired to talk to you about today in reflecting on this episode was the concept of attachment. So I wanted to go deeply into this and talk to you a little bit about how you can figure out which attachment style you are according to the literature. Um, this is based on the book called Attached by Amir Levine. And it's a really powerful book to help you understand how you connect and how you, what's the word that I want to say, how you object when you're not given what you want, uh, how you behave or misbehave. And uh, according to the book, there is four different attachment styles. There's anxious, which is the person who thinks about love a lot and worries about love and worries if something's wrong. They're the nervous person and always wanting to make sure things are moving along and that they're not going to lose their partner. There's avoidant, which means the closer you get, the further they run. Uh, there is secure, which are the people who have a very comfortable relationship with commitment. And then there is the extra special 5% of the population, which I actually think for a while I was in, which is anxious avoidant. That means like, come closer to me, go away, <laughs> like both sides of the puzzle. So about 20%, 25% of the population is anxious, about 20 to 25% is avoidant, um, about 45 to 50% is secure, and then that tiny little 5% is anxious avoidant. But the funny thing that I learned about the dating population is that even though 20 to 25% of the whole population is avoidant, meaning that they run from intimacy or they don't like intimacy, or they do, but they struggle with it. Um, 
50% of the dating pool is avoidant. So what does that mean? That means that most people who are dating, uh, the majority almost, are avoidant. And that's because most people who are securely attached are busy being married or whatever have you in a secure attachment. So how do you, what, what does this have to do with you and how does this play a role in your relationships? Um, according to the research in Amir Levine's book, he talks about how our attachment style is rooted in when we were a little baby. And uh, they did an experiment in the book that talks about how there's a baby crying and when the mom goes away, the anxious baby is going to cry harder and when the mom comes back, the baby's going to be punitive and cry even louder at the mom. The avoidant baby, on the other hand, um, they're not going to cry when the mom leaves or maybe they will, but they're not going to show any emotion when the mom returns. It's like they mentally check out that is avoidance. The funny thing about the anxious baby and the avoidant baby is that their brain activity looks very much the same, which means that their biology and their physiology is registering the trauma of their mom leaving in the same way, despite the external and mental response that they're having to them, uh, which I think is really, really interesting. And then, of course, the secure baby cries when the mom leaves and smiles when the mom is back. Uh, And that is the trademark of a secure baby. So I don't even know what to say about the anxious avoidant baby. I mean, bless that. But what the research shows is that people who are insecure attached, meaning anxious, you know, constantly worrying about love or avoidant, constantly feeling afraid of love or suffocated by love, that if they choose to be with a secure person, the secure person becomes this magical buffer that helps them transform their attachment system and helps them become securely attached. So what does this mean for you? This means if you're anxious or you're avoidant, it is more important than ever that you find someone securely attached and you work on your own attachment style, starting to pay attention to the stories you tell yourself that keep you anxious and worrying about the other person. Start to pay attention to your own insecurities. Start to love yourself. Uh, If you're avoidant, starting to get to the root of where did you learn that love is threatening? Where did you learn that love is painful? Where did you learn to shut off? Um, These are all pieces of the work. And what I want to talk about in this audio in particular, in this review of the episode with Terry Cole, is a term that I heard Kelsey Grant say, uh, a love expert. Uh, She was on the podcast, great episode um, for you to, to find on the love category, Kelsey Grant. And I heard her talking about this idea of an attachment attack. And what an attachment attack is, is it's a visceral full body experience of when you don't get something that you want from your partner because you're insecurely attached. So if you're anxious, you know, for example, in my life, I am anxiously attached sometimes. And for me, that looks like worrying about the other person, feeling insecure, like, do they love me? Do they actually love me? Wanting validation, just like nervous Nelly vibes. And... Uh, It also means that I'm afraid to lose them. And a couple ways that I might show up with that is wanting to make sure things are moving forward. So maybe that means I'm rushing in the relationship. I'm wanting to move in together. It could look like a lot of messy things for me if I'm not aware of it. Um, And at its worst, I can have an attachment attack. And what that looks like is if I'm not getting what I want, and this comes back to our childhood, 
I do a protesting action. So if a baby doesn't get what they want, they protest, they tantrum. Uh, and as an adult, it's interesting because our attachment style takes us back to the consciousness we were in as little kids when we didn't get what we wanted. And so what that looks like in our lives as even fucking adults is a total temper tantrum. Um, the avoidant person, it's going to look more extreme. Perhaps it's going to look like them cutting somebody off and having enough of them, having a need to run, feeling a need to push them away. You know, that looks like an attachment attack for them when really in the back of their mind, they feel like it's the right person for them. They love their relationship and they're feeling this visceral experience and maybe it's triggered by some sort of event, some sort of conversation. Next thing you know, they're completely shut down. They're stonewalling you. They don't want to talk to you, whatever have you. And of course, sometimes this lends itself to being a toxic relationship. And I've done plenty of episodes on that. Um, and if you haven't heard my episode with Tiffany Louise yet, it's going to be all about signs of toxic relationships. Awesome episode. Highly recommend it. Um, so it's really important to start to notice when you're having an attachment attack, meaning that your attachment style is taking over your body, taking over your mind. For an anxiously attached person, in my case, um, my attachment attack might look like, um, you know, having a tantrum that the person won't give me what I want, um, me feeling like they don't love me, me feeling rejected, me thinking I should leave the relationship because they don't love me anymore and completely freaking out about it. Um, maybe it looks like little threats, like, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to do that. Like it creates this, um, control that I want to have. Um, and, and this is something that I've worked on a lot over the years as I've stepped into adulthood. Of course, every now and again, I will relapse into anxious attachment and I'm really kind to myself. I try to forgive myself for it. Um, but I think it's really, really powerful to know that sometimes when we are in our attachment style and we are not getting what we want, we have this visceral reaction and we are so triggered and upset with our partner and we react and take it out on them. And when we take it out on them, it's because we are not willing to sit in the discomfort that we have had deep inside of our bodies ever since we were a little kid. Um, if you really look at your life, if you really look at your upbringing, chances are there was something your parent didn't give you and it plays into your attachment style. So in my case, my dad was always very distracted by his business and I felt like he wouldn't pay attention to me. I felt rejected. I felt unimportant. And so I have a whole thing right now as an adult where I'll constantly be like, do I matter to you? You know, do you want me? And if I feel like they don't, it's a huge trigger for me. And it's something that I manage. It's something that I watch. But at its worst, if I'm having an attachment attack, it's visceral. And I know some of you are probably wondering, how do we decide when intuitively we're in the wrong relationship and we need to have a conversation and we're having an attachment attack and we're just triggered. And here's the thing. Attachment attacks are visceral. They're abrupt. They're usually triggered by a conversation and you're feeling very reactive. You were fine a few hours ago. Now you're not. That's an attachment attack. Intuition is a knowing in the backdrop of your mind that always seems to be there. And maybe you have a conversation that just really con continues to solidify the knowing, but you're not having a visceral reaction. In fact, a lot of the times, if your intuition is sharing with you sad news, you feel a sense of sadness and you ground into that. So um, these are a couple of things to start paying attention to. What do you do when you're having an attachment attack? The number one thing you need to do is realize it's happening. Everybody has a story at the root of their attachment style. So the avoidantly attached person could fill in the blank. I'm scared of love because, or if I fall in love, I'm going to lose blank. 
fill in the blank. If you tend to avoid intimacy or the closer you get, the further you want to run, fill in the blank. You know, what are you really afraid of and where did that come from in your life? Um, If you're anxiously attached, you know, my biggest fear is, that would be a question. My biggest fear in my relationship is the X and fill in the blank. Uh, Usually that comes from um, your upbringing, your parents, your primary attachment figures. And here's kind of a mind fuck. I mean, the truth of the matter is as kids, we biologically and physiologically wouldn't survive without our parents. So sometimes when you're having an attachment attack, it feels like you're dying. And that's because literally when you were a kid, if your parent didn't show up for you, you would have died. You need food on the table. You need them to do your diapers, like all of these things. So that deep feeling in your body when you're having an attachment attack where you're not getting what you want is so uncomfortable that sometimes people buy into the belief that they're in the wrong relationship and they need to leave when the truth of the matter is it's a great relationship for them and they're simply having an attachment attack and it feels so real. The trigger is so real. And the key ingredient in these moments is to pause and seek out support. Whether you want life coaching from somebody like me, whether you have a therapist, whether you have a friend that you think is really woke and wise, the key ingredient here is to seek out support in that moment of the trigger and against all means, try not to text or contact your partner for a moment and give yourself a moment of pause, really pausing and saying, is this in my intuition or am I having a visceral experience? And if it's visceral, you're having an attachment attack. And if you want to tune in and see if it's true, you just want to give yourself permission to relax and allow those thoughts to settle after a few days. And if you're still feeling that, that might be feedback you're in your intuition. So Those of you who are going through something in your relationships, you're feeling triggered, you're feeling upset, I think it's powerful to know what attachment style you are. I know Terry doesn't really lead with attachment styles, but I love this episode with her. I learned a ton from her and uh, I love you guys for listening. I appreciate you for being here on the podcast. It means so much. And uh, if there's anything I could ask of you, it is to take the time to go into your podcast app and write a written five-star review for me. It would mean so much. I am trying to grow this show. I love it so much. I love having the guest on and it helps me a lot get the best guests for you when we have good reviews. So thanks again for tuning into the show. Share it, tag me. would love to hear what you think of the episode and what you got out of this post episode conversation. And I hope anybody that you know who's struggling in relationship with these topics, that you send this episode to them today, that you send them a text with this and support them however you can. So sending all the love and I can't wait to connect next week. again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. 
Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.